0: Oh, good morning, everybody. Good to see so many of you here this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Have you ever read that verse? Have you ever thought about what that verse means? It means every single day we can say this and it's true. This is the day that the Lord has made. And tomorrow we can say, well, no, this is the day that the Lord has made. And the next day and next year we can say, this is the day that the Lord has made and we can rejoice and just be glad In the day, just be glad that God has given us another day where we can love him, where we can uh, be in a relationship with him, and that we can share Jesus Christ with our friends, our families, the people that we encounter every day. It is a time to rejoice regardless of our circumstances. And this morning we're going into uh, chapter four of Philippians and chapter four of Philippians has a lot to say about rejoicing. And Paul uh, has been writing encouragement to the Philippian church and by extension to Jesus Christ's church on March the 5th, 2023. And uh, in chapter 4, Paul switches gears a little bit, uh, just a couple of sentences. Um, And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And we see this, this, it it feels almost like it's out of place, right? Paul's been talking about uh, rejoicing, and he's been talking about all of these things about the church, But it's really not that out of place if we look at the whole book of Philippians. Philippians is talking about having unity in the church, being united, striving together in the church. And we take a look at this situation, and apparently these two women have fallen into something of a dispute. We don't know what the dispute is. Paul doesn't uh, say anything about it. But we have seen Paul encourage the church to do away with grumbling and disputing. And Paul describes these women as Christian women. Their their names are written in the book of life. And Paul is concerned. He is asking for help. He says, "Uh, I ask your help, true companion. And we don't know who the true companion is. The true companion could be one person. The true companion could be the entire church. But Paul is asking for help to see that these women can reconcile, that they can come back together because Paul wants them to focus on Jesus Christ. And Paul, again, he has told us in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted, uh, twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." These women are lights in the world. And Paul wants them to agree in the Lord. He wants them to be of one mind, so that they can shine their lights for Jesus Christ. And this is difficult. A lot of times we think about uh, disputes, we think about arguments, and especially in the church, we think about sometimes these arguments. But Paul has written to us, he says, as a human, Christ emptied himself of his godness. Paul says that Christ did not see being equal with God something to strive for while he was here on earth. But he humbled himself. And he demonstrated total obedience to the Father. And when he did these things, basically what Jesus was doing was giving up his rights. And we talk a lot about our rights, don't we? Especially in this country, we talk about our rights, we talk about we have the right to this, we have the right to that, we have the right to all these other things. But what we don't sometimes think about, or at least think about enough, is that Jesus gave up his rights so that we might be saved, so that we might know we're a relationship with God the Father. And in order to do that, Jesus said, I'm, I'm not going to strive to, uh, to be God while I'm here. I'm gonna empty myself of that. I'm not gonna take on those rights. He put our interests Collectively, the entire world's interests in front of this ability to be God. And that's what Paul is telling the church and these particular women, but he's telling the church in this letter, you both need to give up your right to be right. Because really, that's that's all disputing is. I wanna be right. And if I'm right, that means you're wrong. And I'm gonna dispute and I'm gonna argue and I'm gonna fight with you until you admit that I am right and that you are wrong. Anybody ever do that before? No, nobody's ever, oh, Cindy's done it. She's, she's, she's willing to raise her hand. always right. But Cindy's always right, apparently. <laughs> But this is what we're talking about. This is what Paul is talking about. We need to focus on Jesus Christ. We don't need to focus on ourselves. And when we have to be right in some sort of dispute, that means that we're putting ourselves above other people. We're putting ourselves above what Christ is and what he has done. Our job is to put God's will first. It's not necessarily to be right in an argument. And I know some of you are looking at me really strange, but yes, but there's right and there's wrong. Yes, there's right and there's wrong. And we're not talking about that kind of right. Uh, We're talking about the right that comes from having an argument. Anybody here ever have an argument? Nobody has ever had an argument here. I don't, okay, God bless you all. Uh, That's the end of the sermon. We have all, yeah, Wendy's raising her hand. Yeah, I've been involved in an argument. And she's always right. No, she's not. But I'm going to tell you, when, when, my, when my wife and I argue, when we disagree on something, it doesn't feel Good. It doesn't feel like we are in harmony with one another. It doesn't feel like we're united. And the more and more that we fight, the more I want to be right, even though I know I'll never be. I want to be right, and I will pound, and I will pound, and I will go, and I will go, and I will get out Google, and I will say, this is what the good I will do all of those things just to be right. But at the expense of our relationship at the expense of the unity that we're supposed to have as husband and wife. And I know all of us do this, all of us argue, all of us fight, and all of the women are right. Men, just put that out there for you. But it's only when we put God's will above everything else, when we decide that we're going to put the interests of others ahead of our own interests, as Paul has written previously in this letter. Only then are we truly doing the will of God because Christ put his interests aside for us. And we're to put our interests aside for others. And I'm not saying that there's this magic thing that's gonna happen that none of you will ever argue again. I know Steve would love that, but... What I'm saying is we should be striving together. We shouldn't be trying to be right just for the sake of being right. We got to think of the, the, the interests of the person that we are arguing with in our relationships. And this is what Paul wants for the Philippians. Paul says when we come into that relationship where we are unified, As a church, when we are united, when we stand together, when we strive together for the gospel, Paul says that we can rejoice, that we can be joyful. And Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We just sang that song. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Paul's not just repeating himself to repeat himself. A lot of times when we find in scripture that something is mentioned twice, like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it means it's important. And what Paul is saying here is that joy in Christ is important, it's crucial especially for a church, for a congregation. Rejoice literally means renew your joy, joy repeatedly. And when we work together, when we live together, when we are in unity together, we can have joy because I'm going to have joy when you're right and you're going to have joy when I'm right. And it's not about fighting. It's about looking for truth, not looking for being right. Rejoice in the Lord always. The word joy or joyful or rejoice shows up over 400 times in the Bible. And Paul uses them in this one letter over a dozen times all by himself. It's important that we rejoice in the Lord. The Bible's talking constantly about God's people and their joy. And they're rejoicing when King David returned from killing Goliath, all of the people came out into the streets and they were rejoicing that God gave them victory over the Philistines and they were playing their instruments and they were dancing around. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought back, David, they say, was dancing in the streets in nothing but what they call a linen ephod and he was dancing with all his might. And his wife said, stop embarrassing me. That's basically what she said. You're embarrassing yourself and you're embarrassing me. And what did David say? He said, I will become even more undignified than this if it means that I am rejoicing for my Lord, for the things that he has done for his people. So women, don't be embarrassed by your husbands especially when they're rejoicing in the Lord. When Joseph's family came to Egypt years after his brothers had sold him into slavery, and he was a slave, and then he was a prisoner, and then all of a sudden he became second in command in all of Egypt, there was one person who was sorrowful for years and years, and that was Joseph's father, Jacob. Because Jacob thought his son was dead. And when Joseph called his brothers and his family to come from uh, Canaan and to live in Egypt, and Jacob saw Joseph for the first time, and they ran to each other and they rejoiced. And if you look at that story, the story says they hugged and they cried for a good long time. That's how much joy Jacob felt because he knew that God had returned him to his son. The book of Psalms, this is the the book that David wrote most of. The book of Psalms is all about Joy. There's so many things that David talks about. He says, I keep the Lord before me with him at my right hand. I shall never be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your devout one see the pit. You will show me the path to life, abounding joy in your presence the delights at your right hand forever. Psalm 47, two to three, all you peoples clap your hands, shout to God with joyful cries for the Lord, the most high is to be feared. The great King over the earth. Psalm 118 says, I thank you for your answer for you answered me. You have been my savior. The so- the stone, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. By the Lord, this has been done. And if God did nothing more than make it a new day, We should rejoice for that new day. And of course, David's saying, God's doing a whole lot more than that. He says, Lord, grant salvation. Lord, grant good fortune. For you, my God, I give you thanks. My God, I offer you praise. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. The protection of God the provision of God, the creation of God, the creation of just a new day. And most importantly, the salvation of God. And these are just a few of the things that bring the psalmist joy. We find joy in God's love. Have you felt God's love? Have you experienced God in your life when things are not going maybe the way we want them to and God is still there? Maybe we don't feel Him. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't feel like God was there? Guess what? He was there whether you felt Him or not. Remember we said feelings are fleeting. But when we have joy in God, we know that he is there, even if we're going through something horrible. We feel joy in God's love. We can take joy in his commandments. He's told us how we should live our lives so that they can be the best lives they can be. He's told us how to do things. We can take joy in that. We can take joy in His comfort. We can take joy in His justice. We can take joy in everything that God brings. And we're not alone. The Bible says, even the natural world is joyful because of God. Psalm 98 says, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. And we look at this and we say, wow, that's really flowery speech. That's a really nice little poem that David has written. Yeah, the river's clapping. And that's one of the things I hear a lot from people who mock the Bible. Well, the Bible says some really stupid things. Rivers don't clap. The earth's not set on foundations. And some of these things are, they're poetic. They're they're meant to evoke some sort of emotion in us. But when Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem the week before he died, All of the people were singing out, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were rejoicing that Jesus had finally come into Jerusalem. They thought they were going to be saved from the Romans. And they were joyful about it. And the Pharisees told Jesus to tell the people to shut up. That's basically what he said. Tell these people to stop yelling. Stop cheering. Stop being so happy and joyful. And do you know what Jesus said? I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If everybody shut up, it wouldn't stop the joy. The earth itself would rejoice and say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I don't think Jesus was being uh, exaggerating here. I don't think that this was hyperbole. I think that if everybody had shut up, the earth would have sounded out joy at Jesus Christ, the son of God entering into Jerusalem to do exactly what he said he was going to do, to die for our sins and to rise again to conquer death. That's the kind of joy that we're talking about. Over and over, we see this idea of joy, and every single time we see joy or joyful or rejoice, it has something to do with being in fellowship with God. And that's Paul's main point here. Paul's main point is we do not find joy in other things. We do not find joy, true joy, in anything but God. And we might think that we feel joy, and I know I have felt like I have felt joy before when my sons were born. I felt so much joy when I held them in my arms for the first time You know what? I felt that joy because God gave me those sons. I might not have realized it at the time, but that's what was happening. God gave me those children. He entrusted them to me and to Wendy. He said, bring these children up to know me. What's the result? We talk about joy. What's the result of having joy in the Lord? Paul says in Philippians four five, he first gives an instruction. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And this word reasonableness has multiple meanings in scripture. It means gentleness. It means kindness. It means patience. It means self-control. Are some of these things sounding familiar to some of you who've been around church for a while? Suddenly we start seeing a parallel to another letter that Paul wrote to a different church in the city of Galatia, where he talks about the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love. Wow, I think I went too far. The sport of the, I didn't put that in there. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control reasonableness means five of those things if we look at the at the word in the greek it means five of those things you can find that word in all these different places where it means patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control paul's already talking about joy and we know that joy comes from loving god Let your reasonableness be known. What Paul's saying here is, let the fruit of the Spirit be seen in us. Let love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, let those things be seen by other people. Have you ever seen somebody who has just... Exuded love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control all in one person. It's amazing. I don't see very many, but I do see some. And it's amazing. I can look at that person and I can see God in them. And they rejoice, they are joyful. When we experience God's love, we come to know his salvation. We experience the joy of knowing who God is. The joy of knowing that one day we're going to spend eternity with him. And I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty joyful. And that joy then produces peace. How many of you, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were in a place of turmoil? You were in a place where things were just churning over and over and over in your your lives. And you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you asked forgiveness for your sins and you felt this peace just wash over you. This is what we're talking about. And that peace helps us to be all of those other things, patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle. It gives us self-control. It reminds us God is in charge. God is my Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I'm going I'm to live my life the way they tell me to. This is what comes from this joy. You know what else comes from having this joy, from being able to know the love and the joy and peace of God? We don't have to be anxious anymore. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I know that we've talked about anxiety before. Jesus told the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, don't be anxious about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink or what you're gonna wear. He says God will take care of those things. You pursue righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. But this is not the anxiety that Paul is talking about here. Paul is not talking about individual anxiety like Jesus was. Paul is talking about the anxiety that comes from disputing and grumbling in the church. If we take this passage and we look at the context of the entire letter, Paul is talking about the church. And most of what Paul writes is to encourage the church to operate in harmony, in unity, to strive together. And I think this is why that little uh, passage at the beginning of this chapter about Euodio um, and Sintichi, I think that's why it's there. The dispute that these two women are having are causing anxiety in the church, in the congregation. Paul says when we come to a place where we have joy and peace, we can let those anxieties go, because anxiety leads to division. And we've seen this in a lot of churches. If you've ever been in a church situation where there's much disputing, much arguing, taking sides on things, you've probably felt some anxiety. You've probably felt like things might not be going well, they might be falling apart. The situation itself might be bad, and it might need to be addressed, but it's the grumbling, it's the disputing, it's the gossiping, it's the choosing sides. These things put the church into this kind of civil war where it's brother against brother, literally. And when this kind of disputing happens, Paul's saying that the church needs to stop, and it needs to do everything it can to help the people that are involved in this dispute to settle it. Mostly, what Paul says is that church needs to hit its knees, that church needs to pray. Paul says, Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Supplication is a humble request made to God the Father in prayer. And when we have this kind of situation in a church, in a church body, we need to stop and we need to hit our knees and we need to humbly pray that God will give us a solution. We need to humbly pray that God will show us the truth together in unity. We need to do those things because there's Always three versions of an argument, aren't there? There's my side, there's your side, and there's the truth. And rarely do we ever get the full truth from either side. But do you know who gives us truth? God gives us truth. And we ought to be praying that God will bring out the truth and that the disputing can stop. We need to pray for God's wisdom. We need to pray for God's discernment. And God will give us the answer. He will give us the truth. And he will give us the peace that passes all understanding. As we come back together and are united, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. God gives us peace individually, but he also gives peace to us as a church. And I know Morning Hour Chapel has had its share of disunity in the past. I've heard about it all the way going back. There have been disputes, there have been arguments. But something that I have learned from the people who have been here for a long time, those disputes didn't last for very long because the people of this church stopped and they prayed. And they asked God for wisdom and discernment and guidance to help figure out what this dispute is and how to solve it. And as I continue to learn more about this church through the years, I learn that this church has been humble. It has gone to God in prayer to look for solutions. It doesn't just... Argue. It doesn't just dispute. It doesn't just gossip. It stops. It stops the gossiping. It stops the disputing. It brings the congregation together. And sometimes that dispute is between a couple of people. And, and, and I have seen this. People that are outside of the dispute bringing those, those, those people together and talking out that dispute in prayer. And it's a wonderful thing to see. And this is why I believe that Morning Hour Chapel is so strong and so united, and God has done such great things through us and will do such great things for us, because we stop, and we humble ourselves, and we pray, and we have to do that, and we have to do it constantly. We must remain vigilant in prayer I want you to pray for this congregation every day in your prayers. You should be praying for Morning Hour Chapel and the people that are here. We have to remain vigilant. We must allow God to give us wisdom and discernment so that we can have peace because the enemy is constantly looking for something that he can use to cause disruption in churches. And you know that I'm telling the truth. The enemy is constantly looking for anything that he can use to divide the church. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a big crack in the wall for Satan to use it. And usually it's not. Now, there have been churches that have split over huge doctrinal things. But most churches that split, most churches that have all of this this anxiety and all of these issues, it's the tiny things It's that tiny little crack that Satan can get his finger into and make bigger and bigger and bigger. Like when the leadership decides to move the church service time by a half an hour. There have been people that have left churches because they didn't agree that church should start at 10 instead of 10.30, or 11 instead of 10.30, or noon instead of whatever. It breaks the church apart. Churches are more likely to be broken apart by the color of the walls, or the color of the carpet, or whether we call that thing upstairs the fellowship hall or the social hall, than they would being broken up by a big doctrinal dispute. I've seen it happen so many times. i talk talked to so many pastor friends who tell me that their church is having so much trouble and they're not able to do anything for God because they have to deal with these, I would say, trivial issues. And that's what Satan does. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Satan says, behold, I stand at the church door and pick the lock. I'm gonna find something really small, and then I'm gonna use the pride of those people, and I'm gonna make this into the biggest issue they've ever dealt with in their lives, and I'm gonna split that church up. That's why we need to be vigilant in prayer. Lori told the kids, First Thessalonians, pray ceaselessly, pray without ceasing, pray constantly. How do we pray constantly? We can't pray when we're asleep. But we can be in an attitude of prayer in all of our waking hours. We need to continually pray because when we pray, we take away the enemy's power. We take away his ability to divide us, his ability to break the church. And I'm not saying that we'll never disagree on anything. I'll talk to you guys next week about replacing the pews with chairs, and let's see where we go. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing, I'm telling you. But we're going to disagree on things. We're going to disagree on how to do things. I get to board meetings, and sometimes, man, there's some really, really uh, intense fellowship. But you know what? In the end, there's prayer. In the end, there's we need to look at Christ. We need to do what is best for this congregation. We need to do what is best for this community. And we need to do God's will, no matter what it is let us remember to go humbly before God in prayer and to seek his wisdom so that this church might always experience God's peace and his joy. Because when we experience his peace and we know joy in Christ, it makes us strong. It makes us mighty. It gives us the ability to spread the gospel outside of these doors, at work, and at school. At the grocery store. Anywhere where we can show people who God is through our fruit. And I want to encourage you to pray for this church and to pray for one another. So that we might live and strive together in unity and spread the word of Jesus Christ and see people get saved. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. This is the day that you have made, and you have made it for each and every one of us. And if that's all you did, that would be enough. Father, we praise you. We thank you. We rejoice that we are able to be a community of believers. We're thankful that we know who you are and what you would have us do. Father, I pray as the pastor of this congregation that we would strive together Share the gospel, to call people to repentance so that they might ask your forgiveness and be adopted into your family. Father, help us to remain joyful in you no matter our circumstance, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's going on in our lives. Help us to remember that you are there. That if we do your will, all things will work together for good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. Most of you have been here when we have done this. We do it uh, every first Sunday of the month. This morning, as we prepare for communion, if there is anything that you're experiencing in this congregation, in your relationships with other people, where there's disputing where there's grumbling, where there's arguing. I encourage you, take this time to pray for God's wisdom, pray for God's guidance. Jesus says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there Go be reconciled to your brother and then come back to give your gift. As we take communion, we wanna consider these things. We wanna consider how we come to live at peace with each other and with those that we're in relationship with. I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes to, to pray, to prepare. Uh, after that, the deacons are going to come forward to serve communion. You can come forward as you're ready, receive the bread and the cup, and then return to your seats, and we will all partake together. There were times that even Jesus Christ did not feel at peace. There were times when he felt anxious. Every time that he felt that way, he went to God, his Father, in prayer. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it. He prayed to the Father and after he did, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, eat this. This represents my body which will be broken for you Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. This is the body of Christ. After supper, he took the cup. And again, he blessed it and prayed to his father in heaven. Then he passed it around to his disciples and said, drink this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, and it is shed for the sins of many. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. This is the blood of Christ. After Jesus gave his disciples the bread and the cup, he went to the garden of Gethsemane. Bible says that he was so stressed that he sweat as if it were great drops of blood. And in his stress and in his anxiety, Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup away from me. And then he prayed, but not my will but yours be done. Know the peace of God. Ask Him to do His will for you, no matter how hard it might be. We don't do this very often at morning hour chapel lately. But I'd like to extend an invitation to you this morning. If you don't know a relationship God the Father, if you have not experienced the forgiveness that he gives through his son, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, I want to invite you this morning to ask forgiveness for your sins. I want to invite you this morning. them into just a small time of prayer. If you're praying here and you want to accept God's free gift of salvation, pray these words. My Father in Heaven, I realize that I am a nothing I can do apart from your son, Jesus Christ, to make up for my sins. I know it is only by his blood that I can be saved, by his death that I can know you. I want to accept that free gift this morning. Jesus Christ to save my soul and to become Lord over my life. I give my life to you, Father, to do with as you will. Please forgive my sins. Please help me to live the way that you want me to live.